Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, January the 10th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Today, I was joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee, along with Pat Leahy and Harry McGee from our politics team. And we discussed a number of issues, including the current state of Lorraine's party. You're all very welcome to the podcast. Pat, I wanted to ask you first about a story by uh, our colleague, Fia Kelly, which was in Monday's Irish Times, about Fianna Fáil and some murmurings of discontent about the current composition of its front bench. Yeah, um, I think that's not the uh, not the first murmuring of discontent or murmuring of something or other that we've heard from Fianna Fáil over the Christmas. There was also a couple of stories um, in various papers about Fianna Fáil TDs, including some who were willing to be on the front bench, including some who were willing to be named and quoted, um, expressing um, uh, deep scepticism about any uh, prospective extension of the confidence and supply agreement. Um, I think Fianna Fáil are in a slightly curious place right now. You know, I think if you if you look back to before Christmas, I think there were significant wobbles between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, culminating in the events that led to the resignation of Francis Fitzgerald, and that was a complete or an, an almost complete breakdown of relations between Fianna Fáil and Fianna which brought the confidence and supply agreement right to the very brink. Now, that was overcome essentially by a Fine Gael retreat. Francis Fitzgerald resigned. Micheál Martin was widely seen to have had a win a win, and that, something that I think he felt he needed uh, at that stage. But it registered little or nothing on... Blown away by the Brexit polls. talks, wasn't uh, it, there as well? Was an, there was an Irish Times opinion poll the following week which showed surge in support for uh, for Fine Gael and a mini slump for Fianna Fáil. And whilst we must always be careful not to overinterpret one particular opinion poll, those results were sort of borne out by other polls over the Christmas as well. And I think that if it's a belated honeymoon for Leo Varadkar or uh, if that consistent growth in Fine Gael support is borne out by the first couple of polls of the new year, then I think that will become a substantial dynamic in politics in the opening period of the year. I think it will put Fianna Fáil under pressure and uh, it will put something of the wind underneath uh, Leo Varadkar's wings. And I think that that fear that Leo is building support at Fianna Fáil's expense, because that was the difference in the December, the Irish Times December poll, was not that Fine Gael so much was building support, but that it was for the first time since the election was coming at Fianna Fáil's support. And if that trend continues, and the thing always to watch out for in opinion polls is the medium-term trend, if that continues, then I think that will spook Fianna Fáil. 
Lorraine, what are your colleagues in the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party saying about this? Do you recognise what Pat is describing there? Are you asking me if we were spooked by a couple of opinion polls? I'm sure you weren't. I'm sure you're, no. you're, you're far too strategic to be spooked by, by a couple of opinion polls. No. But is there discussion? I mean, we'll be approaching now in the, in the next few months, the two year anniversary of the, um, of, of the arrangement with the government. Are there thoughts about how it's going for Fianna Fáil and whether it should be recalibrated or indeed brought to an end? Well, we gave a commitment to see through three budgets and I think we've held true to our word. And I think after we entered the confidence and supply arrangement, there, a lot of commentators said, oh, well, Fianna Fáil will pull the plug at the first opportunity and we've shown time and time again our commitment to that and providing a stable government uh, for the country and supporting that government uh, to provide three budgets for the country but the wobble that uh, Pat spoke about before Christmas uh, it was a very significant wobble and it came down to the ongoing issue around faith in our Department of Justice in, in Angarda and issues around Morris McCabe and we held fast on that and it was the leadership of Micheál Martin uh, really that delivered that and we saw the resignation of the Thánaiste and some changes in the Department of Justice. And just last Monday when the tribunal sat for the first time in public session, we became aware that actually the Department of Justice was aware of the strategy employed by Angarda and that was because denied. Because the were running it past them. Yes, yeah, and that was denied before Christmas. So I think Hall's leadership has shown uh, to be a true reflection of, of his commitment from, from day one to support it, but while holding the government to count. And what we want to ensure for the rest of the confidence and supply arrangement is delivery on issues such as housing, such as childcare, such as education and health. But accepting all that, and we'll come back to some mm. of those issues a little bit later, For the and you're doing it for the good of the country and, and all that, but as we approach the third budget, the the, the, the full duration of, of, of this agreement, is Fianna Fáil looking at all about, you know, who its front bench team is? Does it need refreshing? It would be quite normal at this stage, um, perhaps, to be looking at those issues. And certainly Fia Kelly was suggesting the other day that there was some some desire to do that. It's up to Micheál Martin, who he has on his front bench, and I trust his judgment on that. But I think we're, we're probably operating in a little bit of a political bubble and the Dáil and Shannon aren't sitting. So things like this come out of the work. Maybe some of, of my colleagues aren't happy. I don't know. I haven't been talking to them about this, but I think ultimately we all accept that it's up but to me. But for younger members of the Parliamentary Party like yourself, Pat wrote a memorable column there a couple of weeks ago about how this is the, the youngest government now I think since since um, the foundation oh, since of the... Since independence. We have a very young front bench as well. If you look at people like um, Neve Smith and Thomas Byrne, uh, Lisa Chambers, um, Derek Leary, they're all very young people and I think uh, we have a very young parliamentary party. I think it's the youngest parliamentary party that we've ever had. So there's a wide range of talent on the front bench but across the party as well and we all have different areas of interest and we're all working hard in our constituencies and we hope to be able to deliver for our constituencies when the time comes. Harry, what do you think? The the poll in that, that we had before Christmas was a surprising poll. I mean, Fianna Fáil had had a good week in the scheme of these things because Francis Fitzgerald had walked the, the plank. And in the normal course of events, you would have expected a kind of an instantaneous uh, fill-up uh, for the party that had the whip hand in that particular uh, schmazzle. And the uh, reverse um, ha- happened. Um, and, I mean, there are a number of things uh, that could be speculated as to why that happened. Uh, perhaps the 
uh, preoccupations that we have uh, within the bubble of Leinster House are not shared uh, by the wider populace. Uh, Leo Varadkar had a particularly good week the week afterwards in relation to his handling of Brexit in tandem with Simon Coveney. And that might have uh, been the ace up the sleeve that trumped uh, the week of discomfiture they had the previous week. My own read on it, and it has been leavened by my uh, experience in the run-up to the 2016 election. I think Fianna Fáil did very little that was spectacular in the run-up to the 2016 election, yet performed almost spectacularly in the general election. They went from 20 seats to 44 seats. So the media tends to underestimate them? I think they do. It's like kind of saying, it's like writing off Kilkenny's chances at the start of any hurling championship. They have, they're they're traditionally the biggest party. They are the party that's associated with government. Uh, They have the the largest membership of any uh, political party around the country. And they do tend to be very good at constituency level. And I know you've looked to some extent at what the opportunities are for Fianna Fáil at a constituency because constituency level and you think they're pretty good whenever the next election comes. Yeah, just looked at, I think, I mean, that's only one component and and it would be wrong just to to, to focus completely on that component rather than looking at the big picture, which is also really important. But if you look at the constituencies where there are potentials for gains, I think Fianna Fáil are in a slightly more advantageous position than Fine Gael at present, uh, particularly in Dublin, uh, uh, the west of Ireland and Monster. If you look at Dublin, for example, I mean, even on a bad day, uh, Fianna Fáil is likely to win a seat in Dunlira. I think it has a very good chance of winning a seat in Dublin South West, sorry, Dublin South Central, uh, where Catherine Arda is the standard bearer. Uh, they have a biddable chance of winning a seat in Dublin Central, uh, Dublin uh, North West, uh, where Finnegal Noel Rock might find himself uh, in a slightly vulnerable position. Uh, they have a chance of taking a second seat, perhaps in Dublin North, where um, or Dublin I Fingal. You never get around. Yeah, where Lorraine may um, may uh, may join her her colleague uh, Dara O'Brien. And before I go any further, may I congratulate Lorraine on coining uh, the phrase uh, "the uh, Republic of Photo Opportunity." I think that was perhaps uh, the political Bums, phrase as they of say. last year, oh, well, uh, which she unveiled at the Ordesh. So I, I think that 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 Fianna Fáil, just looking at it from a constituency level has more potential for gains and on a very good day could win 60 seats. That only happens though. I I take absolutely Harry's point about the disposition of the constituencies going into the election is more favourable to Fianna Fáil than to Fianna Gael. But winning seats only happens if the share of the vote is increased. Mm -hmm. And polls for all their imperfections are the best guide that we have to that. At the start of the election campaign, although not necessarily as the, uh, as the, as the election campaign uh, goes on. And uh, I mean, I take entirely Lorraine's point about not being, Fianna Fáil not being spooked by a couple of opinion polls. But I think if that trend continues in the opinion polls across the various different polling companies, then I think that will insert itself as a, a powerful dynamic in uh, in political events in mm. the first half of this year. And I think that if you get that continuation of the growth in support for Fine Gael at Fianna Fáil's expense in the polls, then I think that the logical situation is that more and more pressure will come on Micheál Martin from his own... Uh, from his also, own there, there is a rider to what I'm saying. Fianna Fáil did make a couple of gains in constituencies like uh, Donegal, Sligo, Leitrim, where they actually won two seats, uh, Cork, uh, Northwest. Which is, would be tough enough to hold on to. They, they, they could be marginal for Fianna Fáil, so they could win some and lose some. My other um, point in relation to this is I think that the independent brand 
will suffer in the next election and that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael as the two biggest parties and to a certain extent Sinn Féin I don't think Sinn Féin are going to perform particularly well in the next election but I think that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would be fighting essentially over the carcass of a lot of the I, I, I suppose Ryan, I mean Harry paints a relatively rosy picture um, potentially there but it does strike me and without over relying on polls but I'm going to bring them up anyway that there are a couple of interesting numbers under the, the top numbers I think the Ireland Thinks poll showed for example that younger voters were much more likely to vote for either Sinn Féin or Fine Gael than they were for for Fianna Fáil and it also showed some challenge in the Dublin area. Now you're, as Harry says, looking to win a second seat in Dublin mm-hmm. North in, uh, in, in the next election in Dublin. I mean, maybe in a way this goes back to the front bench question. Do you think there is a perception at all that, that Fianna Fáil is, a, is still a, a rural older party in comparison with its competitors? That might be a perception held by some people but I think we have a, a strong membership in Dublin and if you look at my own constituency, we got 23.5% of the vote share in, in what was Dublin North. It's now called Dublin Fingal. And we were by far the highest party in that constituency. So there is that perception in some quarters. But if you look at um, our par- parliamentary party, we have some very young members of that. And I'd like to include myself in, in the young members there, I suppose the under 40s. But we've got a, a very high proportion there. But I suppose it comes down to the policies and are we directing policies at urban Ireland? I, I would like to think that I'm holding the party to account on that and raising these issues and and other colleagues as well. And we have to deliver for both urban and rural Ireland. And Ireland is becoming increasingly urbanised and we need to reflect that. And I think we are doing a good job in doing that. We need to improve on that as well. I think all parties need to kind of grow with the times and develop policies. What about issues like, I mean, I, we were at the Funafal Ardesh last mm. last autumn. Um, the the British political analyst Tim Bale was there, and he was cautioning against Funafal appearing to be too much against uh, movement on repeal, as as it now looks, is going to be a ref- referendum on repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Do issues like that? threatened to dent Fianna Fáil's appeal perhaps to younger voters or indeed more urban voters? The um, Eighth Amendment issue is a very wide issue in terms of it's not just a young issue, it's not just an urban issue. It's people across the country have opinions on it and the opinions are varying and a lot of young people don't support repealing the Eighth Amendment and a lot of older people do so people don't fall into neat categories. People in our party have lots of different ideas in relation to this and we don't have a party policy on it. We have a free vote and I think The party is likely to have a larger proportion of Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party and probably Fianna Fáil members is likely to be against a proposal to remove the Eighth Amendment than than those If I recall the last MRBI poll in your own paper the proportion of party supporters who favoured repealing the Eighth Amendment was kind of consistent across the parties it wasn't that Fianna Fáil supporters were less likely to support yeah, but, it but, I think but, that's but, what but I but remember across a number it. of polls Fianna Fáil supporters are a bit more likely to be pro-life than supporters of uh, other parties but it's not black and white but it's not black and white no absolutely not no no it cuts across party lines Lorraine is correct about that yeah. but as a general statement Fianna Fáil supporters tend to be more anti-abortion than other... I, if, if you're saying so, perhaps that's true. I Just what I picked up from the poll was that it was fairly evenly um, spread across all parties. But I think, you know, I have many colleagues that have different opinions to my own on it and I respect their opinion and they respect mine. And I think, and I'd hope we can all engage in respectful debate in the lead up to what looks like a referendum perhaps in the summertime. So I look forward to that. I look forward to this issue being dealt with. I think anybody under the age of 52 has ha- has not 
not had an opportunity to have their say on this. So I think it's about time we've we've had a referendum on Harry, it. traditionally referendums, no matter how contentious on these sorts of issues, have not been seen to have a direct impact on the fortunes of uh, of political parties and elections that followed. Do you think that's the case here too? Well, referendums are kind of strange because they, they, they I mean, there are there have been occasions where people have voted in referendums, not on the issue that has been proposed, but on, on other issues, uh, some which are kind of byproducts of that issue, some which have nothing to do with it. But in relation to a big issue like this, uh, like uh, abortion, I, I just think it's, it's so long ago, 1983 was the last time there was a referendum on abortion. Mm. Well, not really. I mean, there were ones. There were there were three in the early nineties. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. That, that yeah. was that, that, that was de- defeated. Um, but what happened in two thousand and one was was that all the the main parties came together, but were defeated by a kind of uh, an amalgam of of uh, people who were uh, pro choice and also uh, anti abortion. They kind of came together uh, to defeat that particular uh, referendum. But Fine Gael and uh, Fianna Fáil. And most of the parties, I can't remember quite exactly how, how parties plus we had distributed. The, plus, plus we had the three simultaneous referendums on mm. the issues of travel and information. Yeah. And those. So there has been some. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if any of them. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure about 1983 because that's going a long way back. And I, I haven't looked at the 1983 uh, referendum any, in any detail. But I don't think if, I, I can't think that any of them, uh, that there was a direct correlation between the outcome of the referendum and subsequent party support. Mm. Uh, it could happen, but um, I, I don't think we have any ready reckoners in terms of recent referendums that can tell us that. Well, even if you look at something, Pat, like the marriage equality referendum, there's no indication that anybody gained or lost as a result of their position as a political party on that, is there? Yeah, it's difficult to interpret these things um, in, in, in some respects, but what you can say very obviously is that there wasn't a political payoff in terms of the next election for um, for the government that introduced that proposal and backed it for Fianna Fáil, or for Fine Gael and Labour, which is the party that was perhaps more than any other that was associated with it. On the other hand, you could say that backing that, uh, perhaps backing that referendum helped Micheál Martin in, uh, in, the following, uh, in the following election. So it's difficult to disaggregate causality uh, out of these things. But what we can say is that there's little enough evidence that these sort of votes have a direct influence on politics um, and on party political support, at least in the immediate aftermath. At the same time, you know, you, you can't completely disregard what Tim Bale said. And if an important part of Fianna Fáil's electoral strategy will be to increase its appeal to young urban voters, then this is a subject on which young urban voters tend to be more likely to be uh, in favour of repeal. So We were the first party to introduce a free vote on the yeah, issue and a lot of parties in, in, in have fairness, followed You were, but in fairness that was done from a position of, of, uh, of, of weakness by Micheál Martin in, uh, during the debate on the 2013 Act Micheál Martin wanted to get his party to back that but couldn't and therefore uh, made a virtue out of his uh, his failure to do that and introduced uh, introduced a free vote. Well, but my perception of that is, is somewhat different. I was on the Ord Coral at the time and I think um, a lot of us had expressed opinions over a number of years in relation to this, this issue and I think he became aware that people had a variety of views on the issue and uh, no doubt the, that they the did. most sensible no, no doubt thing they did, but and a lot all... of parties have followed suit since 
So I think we were trendsetters. Taking their lead from Fianna Fáil, Pat, Yeah, so trendsetters. Like normal like way of things in Irish politics. Yeah, I don't think that's exactly what happened, <laughs> to be honest. I have a fairly clear memory of well, it. Well, mo- moving on to, a, to, to, to an entirely different subject. The, the, the subject of property tax has cropped up a couple of times this week with government ministers suggesting that it needs some kind of adjustment. What do you feel about that? Certainly, I think we need to kind of look at it and some adjustments need to happen. I don't think it should be done purely on the size of your property. I don't think it should be done on the, on the value of your property because there are big differences based on where you live in the country in relation if, if to the value. If it's done but on the size of the property, all those rural McMansions would be paying through the nose and those of us who live in uh, shoeboxes in Dublin uh, would be saving lots of money. Yeah, but then, you know, and I, I can look at it from the other side. Uh, um, us in, in Dublin have a lot of services. You can hop on the Dart or the, the Lewis or a bus or walk to Trinity College or whereas if you're living in County Mayo if you want to go to Trinity College you're going to have to come up and rent in Dublin or if you want your kids to go there so we have a lot of um, advantages living in urban Ireland as well so it's not all just about the size of your property but I can see the argument there because prices are more expensive in Dublin and people are paying more of their their wages towards their property tax there are some people that are living in quite valuable properties that they've had for 40 or 50 years and they can't afford the property tax. So we need to look at a, perhaps a fairer system. But I would think uh, Minister Ross and Minister Murphy were playing to their own constituencies. Which really. are both in the most expensive parts the of the country. The most expensive parts of Dublin. When it, South County yeah. Dublin when it, when, when it comes to price. Uh, Harry, when this was all being mooted, or, or frankly, as far as I recall, being forced upon us by the Troika, finally, something probably that some people feel we should have been doing 20 25 years ago introducing a proper property tax or not getting rid of the rates which preceded them. Um, some argued that that this was the wrong system anyway, that something like a site value tax would, would work much better in terms of its economic impact. Perhaps, I mean, the motivation behind it was driven by the, the Troika and essentially, given what had happened in the run-up to 2008, it was desirable uh, that we looked at other ways of imposing tax and broadening the base just away from income and, and transactional taxes. <coughs> Uh, which were the the cause of the boom and also the cause of of the bust in many ways. So I think the idea was good. The execution, of course, uh, will always be clumsy because you can't find a perfect formula for a property tax. If you start imposing it on the value of the house, you'll find those who live in the most expensive parts of the country with modest incomes will find themselves paying much higher. So say, for example, a teacher in Dublin will will, will pay far more than a teacher who's living in County Westmeath, even though their salaries will be similar. Uh, when you do it on the, on the actual size of the, the house, a person with a very big house in Leitrim with a very modest income will pay more than some well-to-do person uh, living it, it, it in, in, in the Leitrim suburbs. Be, be beyond the wit of man or woman, given that, as far as I know, nearly all countries in the developed world have some form of this kind of tax yeah, and implemented in they, various ways and have done so they, for years they, they, to figure out the But essentially, it's, 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 you can't have a broad brush uh, stroke one. I think Shane Ross, in fairness to him, made a fair point in saying that there are some people, for example, pensioners who are living in property or asset rich because they live in a house that they bought at a modest price but has greatly appreciated in value and they're faced with a very big bill. They could easily release some equity on that house. They, they could. Um, yeah, how could they do that? They could take out an additional mortgage on the house if, if they owned it. If you're no, I think there's a provision. I'd like to come across the bank. I think there is a provision that allows the... And you can defer it, actually. You can, you can, you can defer, defer it, it also. The property charge can be, can yeah. be imposed Only as a charge on the house. Only if you are under a certain amount. So if they're on a, a modest pension, which might still be just barely meeting their needs and just slightly above the actual state pension, they can't defer it. And I don't know of any bank that will give a 70 or 80-year-old a mortgage. There is widespread acceptance of the property tax once the revenue started 
committed to taking control of it. And the compliance rates at the present are 97%, which is very high. Because people are scared of revenue. Of course. As soon as revenue took a little bit. It was compliance rather than acceptance. There is is an acceptance that the tax is there and the tax is going to stay. As good as it gets. I think think the big difficulty with the tax at the moment has been the freeze because the values on which the tax is levied at the moment is based on 2013 valuations. And in 2013, the prices in Dublin were right at the bottom of a slump. And since then, they've appreciated by over 50%. And certain newspapers mentioning no name have taken delight in horror stories about how much your property tax is going to go up in well, well, 12 any, or 18 uh, months' uh, time. And they, especially in Dublin, because uh, families who are living in Dublin, even in modest three-bedroom semi-detached houses all over Dublin, uh, will find that property tax bill, if things stay as they are, will double. You know, they'll be going from paying €400 Euro a year to paying 810 or €820 Euro a year. Mm-hmm. And politically, that will not be Lauren, do you think as a, as a basic principle then, if some, some adjustments of some of these sorts which have been mentioned need to be applied, does, do they need to be revenue neutral? In other words, does the, the amount of money raised by the government per annum need to remain the same? Because if you, if you look out for the granny in the big house in Ranala and you don't go too tough on the person in the seven bedroom house in County Leitrim, you might, you're, you're going to end up reducing the amount of revenue that comes in. So as a principle, do you need to at least keep the same amount of money coming in? Because hopefully we'll be increasing the housing stock and there'll be more people paying property tax. But that just means it should go up, shouldn't it? If there's more Sorry. properties, there should be more property tax. Yeah, but the, the, the way we calculate it, it should be a fair and equitable system. And obviously you have to balance the books and there are other issues that need to be addressed in relation to the amount of money that goes from the property tax into funding actual local services. Uh, that needs to be addressed. So the whole property tax in its entirety needs to be looked at and how we fund public services. Because you're, I mean... The constituency in which you, of which you hope to become a, a, a TD, mm-hmm. I think I'm right in saying, looking at the census numbers, is sort of the fastest growing part of the country in That's terms of correct, population. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be done there in terms of local services that aren't there, that already existing communities need and that future communities which are due to. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, the, the, those services are across the board from education to healthcare. I know in, in my constituency, there's a severe pressure on public health nurses because we have the fastest growing population in the country we don't have enough public health nurses to provide an adequate service right across the constituency. So, yep, there are lots of issues like that. Staying kind of on the subject of housing and property-related uh, issues, Conor Skeen, who gave great joy to the readers of the Irish Times over the course of the Christmas uh, passed by, casting scorn on their, the way they pontificate into their muesli about their... I'm, I'm kind of quoting from memory here, but he talked about them speaking over the dinner table about how poor Arosta and Kabosta weren't able to buy houses near them and live near them in, in Dublin anymore because property prices were so high. He basically, um, he, he quite entertainingly acted as a kind of a caustic uh, broadside against the received wisdom about the hand-wringing about the property uh, property crisis at the moment. He basically said, crisis, no crisis. And given that he's the chair of the housing agency and now apparently has now been reappointed, reappointed. Um, he, he swings some weight in this debate. He does, yeah. He also ra- got into a little bit of hot water in some quarters by uh, suggesting that um, uh, that people were gaming the housing lists as well. But uh, I, I wonder, now that he's been reappointed, I wonder, is there a certain element where, you know, Conor Skeen gives voice to some unpalatable things that Fine Gael ministers might secretly believe but could never say in public. Um, and what's your view on that? Do you think that is what they believe? I think that privately some Fine Gael ministers would not find themselves a million miles away from some of the things that Conor Skeen has said, yes. That the system is being gamed? Perhaps. There was much outrage expressed at those comments. Doreen, what do you think? Oh, well, I was outraged by those comments. I'm dealing with people in my constituency clinics every week that um, are finding themselves homeless or they've been 
issued with notices to quit because their landlord are selling their houses and there are no properties in Dublin to rent or very few. And it's not a pleasant experience living as a family in a hotel room. And a lot of these people have young children. I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep at night with a baby waking and you have other kids in the room. It's not an enjoyable experience and uh, you're only doing it as an absolute last resort. And that's my experience. I certainly haven't been told or made aware of anybody that I've been dealing with that is doing that. Now, no doubt some people are doing it in the system, but I wouldn't the, imagine it's a large The suggestion is that since a measure was introduced, I think a, a little while ago, a couple of years ago, which prioritised people who found themselves in you know, emergency hotel accommodation or, or whatever it might be, that people saw that they could actually, I suppose, essentially jump the housing list but ahead of other people who weren't pe- in that People situation. interpreting the figures because they saw a jump in the amount of people that were becoming homeless, but that that happened at the same time. But isn't there the some evidence that that kind of behaviour has occurred in the UK, no, for example? Well, I don't know I mean, about we're not the making UK, moral judgments um, here. We're just looking at what actually... Yeah, it's a rational response by yeah. people to... Mm. I, I don't know if that's actually what's happening because at the same time, house prices have increased, so landlords are selling so more people are becoming sure. homeless the population is increasing and there is less housing stock then to meet the needs so all of these are coming together and it's like looking at some figures and interpreting them one way I think that's a misinterpretation the government needs to seriously focus on housing and if this is the, the kind of narrative that's coming out from government and it seems to be a consistent narrative it's very very worrying Harry I thought it was interesting that I mean Conor Skeen has been saying this for a, while, a number of things for a while and among them has been actually that Ireland's homelessness problem is not by European standards as significant as we think, certainly certainly comparatively. And he, uh, I think he quoted some numbers and some of those numbers then ended up being quoted by, by Leo Varadkar among, among other people. And you go in, you dig in and you look at those numbers and they don't really stand up very well because when you compare the Swedish definition of what homelessness actually means with the, with the Irish definition of, you know, rough sleepers, they're two entirely different things. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily a good look for Fine Gael, Not necessarily because the party presents a kind of an uncaring face to, to, to the world. Just in relation to what Connors, I, I've heard Fine Gael ministers kind of saying that people have deliberately put themselves on the on the homeless list. And there was a piece in the paper today written by Olivia Kelly in which she says the three councillors kind of agreed. Uh, Nolene O'Reilly from Sinn Féin now said that she was quoted out of context. Uh, but Jimmy Gearan, who's an independent councillor in Fingal, said that he has, he has seen or he, is, uh, he, is, he knows that, that some families have done that. But I think his use of the word gaming was very unfortunate, to say the very least. I think it was wrong. When you use the word gaming, it's almost like kind of Murphy's stroke that you're kind of pulling a fast one and getting away with it. But I mean, these families who are declaring themselves as homeless are not in, in an advantageous position to begin with. Uh, sure. They are they're they're absolutely dis- at the bottom of the they are. They're, they're dispossessed. Of their and what they're yeah. doing, if they're yeah. gaming the system, they're moving from a situation where they're living in an uncrow- overcrowded house. Uh, they're, 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 they're being seen to and getting accommodation in a hotel. Uh, which is by no, or a guest house or a, or a hub, uh, none of which are particularly suitable. So they're just moving from the halfpenny place to the penny place. So I, I think the, the use of this uh, uh, word gaming, I think, was was uh, unfortunate. I think um, if, if you read the British papers, for example, I think that they have similar difficulties in relation to uh, housing supply and in relation to homelessness uh, uh, as well. Um, but that doesn't uh, in any way uh, diminish the responsibility that our government faces in dealing with our homelessness crisis. And I just think that uh, if you have a situation where families are living for long periods of time in hotel accommodation, that is unacceptable, irrespective 
of what's happening in other countries. If it's normal in other countries, that's also wrong. Listen, I, I, Lorraine, I mean, I completely agree with Harry and I'm sort of torn between on the one hand, um, you, it, it would be worrying if people actually thought things in private and were saying them off the record to people like Harry, mm-hmm. but they weren't prepared to say them in public. In other words, they were constrained from saying what they actually honestly believe. And then when they come out, you know, the language is wrong. But on the other hand, it's not a good look for boys from King's Hospital and Gonzaga to be no. given off about uh, homeless people, is it? It's not. And, you know, the majority of people that I meet with housing issues, they're actually working families. Not that that should make a difference or anything, but there are, there is an adult or two adults in the family that are actually working, whether that's part time or full time, and they cannot provide a home for their, their families. And that's a, a really appalling situation. These would be families that have had a normal, stable life all along, lived in an apartment or a house sent their kids to school, everything is fine and then suddenly the rug is pulled from under their their feet and they've had to give up jobs because moving from hotel to hotel to hotel on a daily basis has been incredibly stressful. They've had to give up jobs, as I said. It's affecting their mental health, but most importantly it's affecting the health and well-being and the education of children and I think it's absolutely Indeed, and and Michal Martin has said that that, the housing crisis and homelessness is going to be the, if if, if not the, the only issue, certainly one of the biggest issues at the next election. I'm just a bit confused as to exactly what is the difference between the Fianna Fáil policy and the Fine Gael policy right now. Well, we um, introduced the, the vacant housing bill there recently and it has a clear outline of what we need to do to produce housing now. The government isn't delivering. This was to, uh, named uh, as a crisis back in 2014. We're now in 2018 and they're still not prioritising it. They're not seeing it as a matter of urgency. So there should are, you not just pull the plug on them and, and look to get into government and implement your policies well, given that this is the most urgent crisis facing the country? We had given them plenty of leeway on it and, and hoped and we, we had listened to, to the government and the minister has uh, and the minister before the current one has outlined various plans but they don't seem to be delivering upon them and I think we, we, we were obliged to give adequate time and uh, allow the current minister to settle into his brief but if what they're really doing is putting out this narrative that it's not really a crisis and people are just having a bit of a laugh and it's kind of normal anyway and even there was another strand to the narrative um, that people um, ended up in homeless situations through bad behaviour and uh, this bad behaviour is nothing more than renting a house that a landlord might well, want well, to sell well, and well, not well, being well, able to access. Well, that wasn't said by an elected official. It and, and interestingly, it, it either, again, there was the an issue of, of the kind of misplaced bad language, which Harry's talking about. But actually, some of the issues which which were raised by, was, in that case, were also raised by Alice Leahy, who I think, whose credentials on this these kind of issues well, Part are, of the difficulty is that people conflate the problem of rough sleeping, sure. which is a subset of the wider homelessness problem, and which and a lot of people do find themselves in after behaviours that they've chosen themselves. Last word from, from you, Pat. Do you think homelessness is going to be the main issue in the next election or is it going to be, be bread and butter I think it's. I think, I, I think it is a bread and butter issue now. I think it is gone significantly beyond a social problem that affects a small minority of people that, you know, traditionally, you know, there's an awful lot of media debate about but doesn't affect that many people. I, I think this affects... Basically, anybody under 35 mm-hmm. is in this position. So come back to one of our earlier points, it's a generational it's, issue. Exactly. And it yeah. also, talk about party politics, it also affects, you know, uh, Fine Gael voters, the children of Fine Gael voters now where, who might possibly have been in the past, have been less likely to be affected directly by this problem now, find that they cannot get on the housing uh, ladder as well. So I think that this is a problem that affects all classes, obviously, uh, uh, more, some more so than others. 
others across society on a generational level. And I think that it and health will be the big political, the domestic political issues that, that will dominate the next election campaign and dominate much domestic political debate during the year. The difficulty for the government is that they are both problems which do not lend themselves to quick or easy solutions. Will the homelessness crisis still be with us this time next yes. year? Yes. Will the health crisis still be with us yes. this time next year? The best that the government can hope for is to make demonstrable progress um, and uh, I think it is fighting an uphill battle on that front. We shall leave it there. Thanks very much Lorraine for joining us. Thanks also to Harry and Pat. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer Jennifer Ryan and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember that you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider may be and you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcast. Your views are extremely important to us and you can mail me with them at hlinhan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much for listening. 